often as we go forward. Returning in our Bibles, please, thanks, David, to 1 Corinthians. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're continuing this uh, study on a proud church, the church uh, we don't want to be. And last time we dealt with Paul's harsh word to the Corinthian church. Now he's going to come with a slightly more tender word and gently teach this point of humility. And we're reading from the verse 9. Last time we were together, we looked from the verse 6 through to verse 8. Uh, this time, God willing, uh, we hope to finish off the chapter. And we're going to read from verse 9 uh, through to the end of this chapter. This is the word of the Lord. And it reads, For I think that God has set forth us as the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, unto angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honourable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst, and are naked and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labour working with our own hands, uh, being rivaled, we, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world, and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you. But as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love? And in the spirit of meekness. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. A proud church, the church we don't want to be. In the opening part of this section, we find a couple of weeks ago that Paul was full of sarcasm and irony. Uh, this was a proud church and no church should ever be able to be accused of being a proud church. And of course, we reminded ourselves that the first steps that any child of God takes is to humble themselves. To, to, and as they take that first step through the narrow gate is to say, I can't save myself. The Lord Jesus himself said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Christianity is the death blow of pride. But sadly, as we said a couple of weeks ago, pride never really fully dies. And it often raises its ugly head in the local church fellowship. So Paul in verses 6 to 8. 
uh, took the Bible, these Bible, what we call Bible pens, to, to, to prick the Corinthian church's spiritual pride and bring them back down to size. And first of all, he started with this tough word, and then secondly, he said he was going to give a tender word. We started with that tough word last time. Sometimes we have to hear a tough word from God, don't we? Sometimes we need rebuked. Uh, sometimes God has to confront us with uh, the sin that's in our life and uh, he needs to very severely deal with us. And sometimes God gives a tender word, a pleading word, an encouraging word. Last time as we considered Paul's tough word, uh, we were we reminded and we saw that pride was unscriptural. In verse 6, uh, Paul said, in verse 6, Paul said, In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us uh, not to think of men above that which is written, uh, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. And he spoke about in the middle of that verse, that which is written and of course we understood that to be the full canon of scripture what God has revealed and as we thought about that we Paul taught that indeed pride it is unscriptural uh, we're meant to measure ourselves against what's written in scripture and according to the measuring stick of God's word there's no room for pride and so we learned that pride is unscriptural we also learned that pride is unspiritual in verse 7 he says, Who makes you differ from one another? And what has you done? What have you done that you received it? Now if thou didst receive it, why do you glory as though you did receive it? In other words, what Paul was saying in, those, in that verse, in verse 7 was, You're being proud of the things, the spiritual gifts that you have, the gifting that God has given to you. And he was saying, it is God who has given you your gifts and abilities. Therefore, give the glory back to God. These Corinthians were parading about like peacocks. Uh, they, were, they were walking about as if their gifting was something that they had done for themselves. But it was God who gives each of us our gifting and ability to serve in the local church. And therefore, it is God who we should give the glory to in all the things that we do in this local church fellowship. Pride is unscriptural, pride is unspiritual. And last time we finished by saying that pride is unsociable. Paul said in verse 8, now you're full. What he means is you're full of pride and really it, it causes your fellowship with others to be marred. And he says, you're rich, you, you've reigned as kings without us. In other words, they were high and mighty. You're reigning as kings without us. You're, you're not having fellowship with your other believers. You think much of yourself and you're not humbling yourself. And I would to God that ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. Pride, it's unsociable. And Paul, he took this, this tone of sarcasm and he sought to shock the Corinthian church into seeing the error in their ways. Now this evening we come to Paul's tender word. And he lays out, first of all, I want you to see personal humiliation. Personal humiliation, humility in other words. The Apostle Paul lays before us in these verses in scripture uh, what is supposed to be the attitude of the believer as they move in this world. God's child, a Christian, is to have an attitude of submission to the Lord Jesus and is to live a Christ-controlled life. 
Now, a Christ-controlled life means that there must be personal humiliation. Look at verse 9. It says this. This is what Paul says. For I think that God has set forth us as the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Now you see, that was in such contrast, this verse, to what the Corinthian believers were doing. They were walking around filled with pride, pride of themselves, swelled up in their imagined superiority. And that was so contrary to the spirit of the believer that God intended. That was so contrary to the spirit of the Apostle Paul. Paul says in this verse 9, we are made a spectacle unto the world. A spectacle. It's a graphic picture that the Apostle Paul paints here. It's actually taken from the Colosseum. And in those days, thousands of people, sometimes as many as 50,000 people, would gather in a Colosseum and they would come to witness the Olympic, the athletic games. And as the games continued, the games would become more and more and more violent. And at the end, the, the captive slaves would be brought out and these captive slaves would engage in games that would ultimately result in their death. The Apostle Paul pictures believers as these captive slaves. You know, in those days, sometimes when society had turned against Christianity, at the center of the Colosseum, they would have placed a cross. And that cross would be there to mimic and to make fun of and to ridicule believers. And many a faithful believer was martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before the gaping eyes, before those scathing eyes of the world, and they were made a spectacle. As people stared at them with those hostile stares of an unbelieving world. That is all Jesus has ever promised for us to expect in this world. Did you know that? The Lord Jesus never promised us that we would have self-congratulations or, or that we could expect the applause of men for living close to him. In fact, you can almost put it down, dear brothers and sisters, tonight, if you live close to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be the object of scorn and ridicule in this world. So here were Corinthian believers filled with pride, and yet Paul says, I made a spectacle to the world. I'm just made something that people gaze upon and laugh at when I'm dead. So you see, here's the attitude of self-humiliation. Look at verse 10. Paul says, we are fools for Christ's sake. And then he uses a wee bit of sarcasm again, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong, ye are honourable. But we are despised, even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being re reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. We are made fools, says Paul. Moros is the Greek word. It's where we get our word morons from. Fools, defame, the filth of the earth. The offscoring of all things. If you can paraphrase it today, literally Paul says the world looks on us as the scum of the earth. And that's what you're looking for if you want to be spiritual. 
The world is going to look upon us and in certain countries it can be seen clearly in these days where the church is persecuted that Christians are gazed upon as the scum of the earth. I wonder if you were described as the scum of the earth. Would you put your hand up and say, yes, I want to be a Christian? Well, you can read it for yourself in Hebrews 11. Many great men and women of faith who suffered for Christ, who had great faith in Christ and lived for him. I want you to really grasp this this evening. All that this spiritual road is, is to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sufferings. We considered it in Philippians last year in Sunday mornings. Do you remember what Paul said? That I might know him. We've been singing, oh, to be like thee. That I might know him. Oh, we want that. We want to know Christ. He goes on. And that we might know the power of his resurrection. Oh, we definitely want that. We want to know the power of his resurrection. And then the next phrase, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, not that. Not that. That's part of the package. It's part of the discipleship. And the trouble with these Corinthians was that they wanted a thornless road to heaven. And there wasn't one. Verse 13, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. And that picture of offscoring is literally if you picture a cleanup crew coming in and there's been a night of rioting on the streets and maybe in the city and they're filled with debris and with rubbish and with filth. And the cleanup crew now has to come in and they're scrubbing away the filth and they're washing it down the drains and they're scraping the scum off the streets. And Paul says... What we've become in the eyes of the world is that scum, that stuff that they literally have to scrape off the streets for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's quite a contrast, isn't it, to the attitude of the Corinthian believers. Quite a difference. You see, those who were followers of Christ, as Paul was, were receiving hostility and animosity and all the anger of the world. And yet here were the Corinthians standing and bragging, looking for applause, looking for the praise of men. Let me tell you, dear brothers and sisters, that's not what the Saviour said we should expect. We should expect persecution, ridicule and scorn. What does the hymn say? Must I be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fight to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? The early Christians had it. There was so much persecution in those days. Paul speaks of it so much as he writes his letters. And I believe that we are headed into these days again as believers. And if you are really going to stand for Christ, it's going to be seen. You see, we really in our generation have been the benefactors of a, of a heritage of Christian belief. We've been brought up in a time where there's Christian heritage. I remember in primary school, and even still in some of our primary schools, they are singing hymns. And I remember in primary school, a wee set of Bibles uh, sitting in my school. I'll tell you, in these days you won't find a wee set of Bibles in the classroom anymore. 
I remember when I was growing up that the gospel was able to be shared in assemblies with no problem. See, when I go and take the school assemblies, I have to very carefully think how to share the gospel to ensure that I get opportunities again. You see, we're not living in the same days that we used to. Times are changing. Many teachers are wanting rid of the Christian emphasis in assembly. I know of a school in Belfast that no longer sings hymns in their assemblies. I know of a school in Belfast that won't bring a minister in to share in their assemblies. For I believe the heritage of the Christian faith is rapidly dissolving in our society. And we're living in a society that is becoming totally pagan. And it may be that we're going to find out really who of God's people are going to stand in a day to come. I don't say this to scare you. I say this to warn you. It's going to mean something to live for Christ in the 21st century in our country. And in the years to come, it could mean persecution. I wonder in these coming years who will stand. There's going to be a price to pay to take your stand for the word and for Christ and for the things of God in this day. I want to tell you something. There'll be no room for pride. There'll be no place for God's children to get all exalted about themselves. We must be willing to take the place that Christ has given to us. That place of personal humiliation. As Paul closes out the chapter, he, he, he tenderly reminds the Corinthians of two things. And this is what we're going to finish with. He reminds them of their birth in Christ. He, he tells them, remember your birth in Christ. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says there, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you to tender work. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Now I want you to note that in verse 14, how tenderly the apostle comes to them. And it's a bit reminiscent of chapter 1. You remember with all their catalogue of sins and the qualifications for the judgment that really God should be having on them. And Paul is coming and he's writing a letter of judgment to them. But remember in the first chapter he didn't come with all this anger to start with. He came with tender grace and he showed them the forgiveness of God. And now he comes again tenderly and he says, I'm not coming to shame you and I'm not coming to show you up. And let me say tonight, and I mean this for any time I stand in the pulpit in this church. What I bring to you from the word of God, I'm not here to hammer anyone. I'm never here to hammer anyone. I'm never here to make you feel guilty. For I war with the sinful man every day too. And I'm never here to make you feel like you're not up for it. That you're not living up for Christ. It's not my aim in any shape or form. It's not my endeavor or goal to ever do that. Every time I stand in this pulpit, I seek to stand as Paul did, not to shame you, but as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ to tenderly yet pointedly show you how you ought to live for Christ. Because it's a two-edged sword. There's tenderness on one hand and there's pointedness on the other. And Paul says, although I'm coming to you, I'm not coming to shame you, but to warn you. To show you how you should be living. A warning is needed. Why? Because in verse 15 he says, and if I can translate it like this to you, 
even though you, you, you may end up with having countless thousands of guardians and Christ's people who seek to teach you and influence you for the Lord, at least you don't have that many fathers. What does he mean? He, he said, he's saying to them this. He says, I'm the one, remember, that pointed you to Christ in the first place. You see, all these teachers were coming in and flooding the church in Corinth, telling these people what was right, what was wrong, and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And these men and women, simple as they were, they weren't putting these, they were actually starting to put these people who were coming and teaching in high places and hold them in high regard. And they were even putting them above the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was being put down when he was the one who God used to come in and share the gospel with them in the first place and point them to Christ. And these people, Paul says, well, they're guardians, they're, they're instructors to you, they're, they're teachers. But he says, don't you forget that I pointed you to Christ. And Paul says, just you remember who saved you. And it wasn't Paul, it was Christ. And Paul says, remember, it was me who led you to Christ. And you need to look to the example of Christ for your humility. Just a small side note. Paul says at the end of that verse, look at it. Verse 15. For in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I begot you through the gospel. In other words, he says, I pointed you to Christ. Can I ask you, can you say that of anyone? I wonder, are you a man or a woman that begats other people in the gospel? What do I mean? Are you seeking to lead others to Christ? You know, we could do without the others. There's many people who sometimes come and all they want to do is spout off all their knowledge of Christ and sit in their high seat and look down at the rest of the church and say what's being done wrong and what's being done right and how they would do. I could tell you what could do with a few less of those and a few more fishers of men. Paul talks about it in Galatians 4.19. To the Galatians he says, My little children of whom I travail in birth pangs for you again until Christ be formed in you. Paul is taking upon himself the figure of a mother who is laden with a child and the birth pangs come upon her and she begins to know the travel of, of of bringing a child into the world and he takes the whole illustration in the physical and and then he moves it into the spiritual realm and speaking about begatting children in the gospel. It's that image is in the Old Testament too because it says in Isaiah as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Can I ask you? And don't, don't, don't sit here and say tonight, well, you know, there's, there's the gift of an evangelist and therefore I can't point people to Christ. You're wrong. You're wrong. Are you seeking to win souls for Christ? Are you? Are you striving to be a soul winner like Paul? Because he that winneth souls is wise. Paul says, remember Christ saved you. He says, look at him in humility. Remember your birth in Christ. But he also says, remember your behavior in Christ. Remember your behavior. Look at verse 16. He says, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Paul says, look, follow me. Now, hold on a minute, you might say. Hold on a minute. This is a full contradiction of what he's been teaching. The entire book he's been sitting telling people not to look at men and not to exalt men 
And now he turns and he says, look at me and follow my example. Why is he doing that? Well, the point of this is that he is their only father who has begat them in Christ, the one who pointed them to Christ. And they're to follow him in that capacity. But also, if you were to turn to chapter 11 and verse 1, here's what he says again. He says, be ye followers of me. And then he qualifies this statement by saying, as I also am of Christ. So what Paul is saying, so as long as I follow Christ, you follow me. The word follow is the Greek word we get from the English word mimic. Some tra translations say imitators, be imitators of me. You know, we're all good at saying do what I say. How many of us, let's be honest here tonight, how many of us can stand and truthfully say, look, you do as I do. That's a challenge to my heart. And I trust it would be a challenge to yours. So many of us are good at saying, me included. But Paul was able to say, not just say, do what I say, but you do as I do. To prove this, he sent Timothy, verse 17. And if there was ever a man that was doing what Paul was doing, it was Timothy. You see that in Philippians 2 again, where we study. And Timothy, he was the epitome, an example of a faithful servant and steward of Christ that Paul was talking about. And when Paul wanted to show them what he was like, he told them to follow Timothy. Because Timothy was the epitome of Paul's life and there Timothy was following the humility of Christ and he was seeking to be more like Christ. Can I ask, can I ask, who have we got to point to today and say there's a man and there's a woman who's like Christ? Can I ask you, ask your own soul tonight, could, could someone level that against you? Could someone say and point at you and say, there's an example of Christ? Are you someone that others can look up to? You know, sometimes when I think about it, it feels like we're living in a day where Psalm 12, verse 1, could be applied. It says, there help, Lord, for the godly men cease and the faithful feel from among the children of men. There's a need today. If there ever was a need. For godly men and women who are like Christ. Who love Christ. And seek to live out his example. The difference is that if you want to be someone who's really something for Christ. And know his power. And have the evidence of it in your life. We need to step down in humility. You know, Paul said this in verse 20. He says, I'll come to you. Verse 19, sorry, I'll come to you. And then in verse 20, he speaks about here. He says, let's read the verses together. He says, I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them that are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And here is the supreme test uh, power, it's not found in the ma mind uh, where men seek to put themselves forward and seek to teach from their own ability. Paul is saying, when I teach, I don't come with an argument for philosophers to try and bring them down, but I come with the unction of the Spirit of God 
It's not just in faith that you adopt, but it's a force that you experience in a life of holiness. The word in scripture is the word logos, and it communicates the expression of the thought of God. In other words, the book that is found before us, it has the mind of God throughout it, and in the beginning was the word. Therefore, Christ is the expression of the thought of God, and he declared and revealed God to us. And if we come alone with our own expression of thinking, if I just stand to it before you tonight, in other words, and just seek to give Peter Craig's thoughts on these verses that are before us, do you know what? We might as well all just go home. We might as well all not come here tonight. But the point of the matter is, each time I stand to preach, and each time we come before to this place, the reason why we're found praying is because we believe that it's God. It's God who speaks through his word. And he miraculously in some way, I, I don't know why he does it this way, but miraculously he uses men like me and men and people like you to communicate his word. It's, it's a miracle. I don't know why God would use any sinner to communicate his word. But he does. Isn't it lovely that God wants to use you? You see, tonight we need the unction and power of God in our lives and there's only one way to get it. You may think this is a hobby horse. You may think this is something that I bang too much on about, but I don't care. The only way that we'll know the power of God is if we're finding our knees. The only way we'll know the power of God in this place is if, if, as an assembly and as individuals we're finding our knees seeking God's face at all times. We're to know the power of Christ and the gospel moving in this place. We need to be a praying church. And we need to be praying individuals if we're to know power in our own lives. You know, many men and women will sit for hours and talk to you about this, that and the other. And they'll debate in committees and on boards and you name it, everything under the sun. But I believe there's few men and women, I include myself in this statement, who take time to pray for the power of God to fall. I know one of my biggest faults is I don't pray enough. And these men and women, quite often, even in the Corinthian church, they were just standing and they were seeking to share their own thoughts, ideas. There was no power. That's why so much sin was in the camp. If we're to be followers of Christ, we need to humble ourselves and bow before him and seek his face each day. Do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Always means always. We need to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who went out on a regular basis into the night and a great while before day prostrated himself before God and prayed. That's why, in a human sense, he knew the power of God in his ministry. And the crux of Paul's message in these verses, and my message to you this evening is this, you can't have power without practicing prayer and practicing what many spiritual men and women before us have done. And then we'll start to know Christ when we seek him with our whole life. 
Now, what I will say is this. Don't go away from these last two studies and think, well, I'm going to try and be better, and I'm going to try and be more spiritual, and I'm, I'm going to try to do all these things uh, that Paul has told us to do because you're already starting on the wrong foot when you say, I'm going to try, you'll fail. So will I. And pride will take over again. It's only through the power of God and the Spirit of God that Peter, was, who was the great failure, could say, whereby are we given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. The way that we live the spiritual life is through the divine nature of Christ that has been imparted to us by faith and faith alone. Therefore I plead with you, dear church tonight, get on your knees again. Believer, thank the Lord for the abilities he has given you, but attribute the glory to him for all that he does through you using those abilities. And you prayerfully serve him each day. Oh, that we would be found as a humble church and not ones who were proud like the Corinthian church. Oh, that we would serve the Lord with gladness, but in full humility, attributing all our gifts and abilities to him. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we bow in thy presence this evening and we thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the one who left heaven and came down to this world who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Father, as we think about our Saviour, the King of glory, who was willing to set aside his glory and take on human flesh, oh, Father, we realise how at times we can be so proud and at times we can live in such a way where we rely on our own ability attribute our abilities to ourselves. Father, I thank you for every gift and skill you've given to each person who sits under my voice this evening. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to use the gifts and abilities that you have given us for your glory. I pray, O oh Father, that we would be able to return unto you all the thanks and praise for what you do in this place on a daily basis. And Father, as we bow in your presence this evening, we pray that indeed, you would search our hearts and try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, pride or whatever it is, that, Father, you would lead us in the way everlasting. Father, we need you this evening. And we humbly come before you now, and in these moments as we pray as an assembly together, as a church fellowship, we ask, O oh God, that we would indeed come realizing we come to the powerful God and that, Father, we would even realize afresh our great need of thee this evening. We thank you, Father, for our Saviour. He is indeed our very example. We pray that indeed we would become more like him each day. Oh, to 